Welcome back to the Metal Exchange, or should I say the Alternative Exchange. Chris, how are you? I'm just glad that you had the time to listen to me whine. Yeah. Um, I knew we would get to it eventually. No better time than the present. I know it was a little bit of a curveball coming off the uh, the Sabaton episode last week, but I am very excited to talk about some Green Day this week. Um, they are a not-so-guilty pleasure of mine, and I, I know it's the same for you. And sometimes we, we I think keep things fresh and to just kind of move things away from the typical, uh, the typical metal show. I think it's interesting when we can kind of put our perspective on albums that are a little bit outside the typical metal wheelhouse. And this would obviously be no exception. Absolutely. I, um, I have a lot, a lot to say. This album has, uh, was a very important part of my former, uh, form formidable, uh, music listening um i mean i was just at that age where i was just um ingesting whatever mtv and uh the radio was feeding me and and in 1994 it was alt rock i mean that was the music of the day um that's uh, you know it's this era of of alt rock i think is is kind of the the natural follow-up to the grunge movement, which a lot of people would say killed metal or at least killed mainstream metal in the United States. Um, so I understand that there are like people that are, uh, that feel divisive about this kind of genre of music because it kind of represents the, the murder of their, <laughs> their genre. But um, you know, for me, this was kind of my first, taste of getting really into like mainstream rock music so for for me and i know you know you you know you're only a couple of months younger than than i am like um i'm sure it was the same for you totally and i'm i'm looking forward to getting into it i'm just going to say uh a couple of things before we start which is there were a couple of albums that came out um within the last week or two that really just um if you haven't heard are, are definitely worthy of consideration the new Halo Effect album came out. It's fantastic. I know it's gotten a lot of good hype with good reason. Um, I, I think that it's going to be up there in terms of uh, on a lot of album of the year lists. Uh, the new Seventh Storm album, which we talked about uh, briefly um, when, when one of the singles came out, it's quite good. I, I don't know that it's going to necessarily be on my top 50, but it's close. Um, or I think it'll probably wind up being close. Uh, quite good. And, and quite frankly, the real, I don't want to say surprise, but God, the new Arch Enemy album is fantastic, Deceivers. I have been, I think I've listened to it, uh, God, maybe four or five times already, and it's just getting better with each listen. The production is outstanding. The songwriting is very good. And there's something about that combination between uh, Jeff Loomis's guitar and Alicia's uh, vocals they're uh, they're onto something big, and I have a feeling. I, I mean, they've blown up already, but they are they're they're destined for like superstardom with this release, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I've said it in past episodes, but I'm uh, looking forward to hearing it. Um, I have it; I just haven't listened to it yet. I've I managed to go from being completely caught up to being like five or six Indeed. albums behind again. So um, you know, that's on my list uh, uh, amongst um, a handful of others. Uh, Halo Effect being another one. And um, also the um, the newest uh, album from Ronnie and uh, 
and um, eclipses. Um, what's his name? I always forget his name. Uh, Eric. Um, Eric. Eric. Yeah. Eric. Eric and, Eric and Ronnie. Yeah, Eric and Ronnie are two, are two buzz. Nordic Union. Yeah, um, that's another one that I'm uh, really excited about getting, digging into. So um, I... Nice. Yeah, I'm sure. Just give me one busy work day. I'll be all caught up. Beautiful. I look forward to hearing, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Um, but let's, let's go back to 1994. Green Day's Dookie um, comes out February 1st of that year. And I, in many ways, I think 1994, just in general, was a real um, interesting year and very formative year, not just for us, but for many things. I feel like 94 was just a big year in terms of stuff happening. I know we covered euthanasia a few weeks ago, and uh, obviously that came out in 94. This, obviously a lot more mainstream and getting radio play and, and all that. It was really a sign of the times, but... You know, when you think about like killing metal, the, the the metal that was really on the radio and that was like of super popularity was a special niche niche type of metal, right? Like in other words, you weren't hearing bands like Testament on the radio or bands like Slayer on the radio. You were hearing the hair bands as we affectionately call them. So when they say it killed mainstream metal, yeah, maybe maybe the popularity for the genre began to wane quite a bit. You weren't seeing headbangers ball as much on TV and you weren't seeing these high production stadium tours. But at the same time, the music was still being made. And, and we go back to albums from the, the mid 90s all the time. There was great stuff being made, just mostly in Europe. Yeah. And and I just don't think that people were as far as people that are listening to just what the mainstream is feeding them. Like, I mean, this like I said, I remember, um, you know, Z100 was our um, our top 40 radio station growing up. As far as I know, it still is if you live on Long Island or in New York City. Um, and you turned it on in, in 1993, 1994, and you were hearing, you know, Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And, and that was what was mainstream rock in the U.S. And it was awesome. I mean, I... Um, I mean, you know, going back to when we talked about the monkeys, like that was my, my, um, my knowledge of, of music was like the monkeys for my cousin. And then just, um, the classic rock that my mom would listen to on the radio and the oldies that my dad would listen to and the, and Frank Sinatra, when my dad and my uncle would get together, would be listening to that kind of stuff. Um, but as far as like modern music, I was just never, really aware of it and it was um it was probably it, it's kind of funny um i don't remember if i i'm sure i told the story in our pearl jam episode but you know i'll tell it again um very similarly to uh the the you know the storied tale of ralph making me a mixtape with all these metal songs on it in 1997 i had another friend when i was in sixth grade who made me a mixtape in 1994 and those, it was like, um, one side of the tape was like songs from CDs that he owned. And the back end of the tape was stuff that he recorded off right off of FM radio, probably mostly from Z100. Um, and I remember like, um, uh, because the night by, um, 10,000 maniacs from their MTV unplugged performance. And 
just like random songs like that. Um, but I remember on the uh, on the first side of the tape, um, the first four songs were um, Mr. Jones and Round Here by Counting Crows and Daughter and Elderly Woman Behind the Counter of a Small Town by Pearl Jam. And I just remember like thinking to myself, like, man, I love this type of music. And, I, and, and so I just started that summer. So this was, again, and this is right around the time of my birthday, oddly enough. I just, I just asked for mixtapes of music I'm not aware of as um, birthday gifts, apparently. Um, so um, I, I go into summer vacation, and all I did for summer vacation was just, just watch MTV. Just watch. And, th- and this is MTV in 1994. This is music videos most of the day. And if you were, if there was a TV, if there was a show on MTV that wasn't a music video, it was either The Real World or Beavis and Butthead. And that was maybe Remote Control, if you remember that game show from back then. But MTV didn't really have a lot of non-music video programming at this time. So I was obsessed with the the weekly uh, Top 20 Countdown, try, like watching it every Friday night to see like if, if my favorite band had moved up to number one and um, just obsessed. And, and through that, I would found myself um, listening to the radio constantly and, um, and at the same time also listening to a lot of classic rock on the radio and just really just ingesting as much rock music as possible. And so during this time, um, the MTV had a thing called the buzz bin and it was when a band that you'd never heard of as a music video and they just throw it out there and it's kind of like a sink or swim kind of situation. I remember, the sweater song by Weezer was one of those. And it was like, you didn't know if this was a, just a one-off and you'd never see this band again, or maybe they'll blow up. And in Weezer's case, the next, once the next video came out, which was Buddy Holly, which was one of the, I thought one of the most well-made music videos of its time. Shout outs to director Spike Jones. Dude directed so many great music videos around this time. Um, Green Day was one of those bands that was the buzz bin and it was the song Longview and it was that just that music video of Billy Joe just sitting in his house and sitting on the couch and pretty much told the story of the song and um I think I'm pretty sure the video was also featured on Beavis and Butthead at one point but I just remember hearing that song and and I was like I just fell in love with that band and then Basket Case would be the next single and then that just like it was over for me. Um, I had, I ended up getting this album on a cassette tape originally. Um, and then I would get it on CD later on, but, um, I, I was absolutely like of all those bands I was listening to at the time for whatever re- reason, even more so than Pearl Jam, um, Green Day just grabbed me and just, and just, um, just fascinated me. And I had another friend who in junior high school, uh, Dan, who shared the love so I think us just feeding off of each other um, made it just more and more epic. And, and he was the one who was like, yeah, they have two albums before this. And I was like, holy shit. And so he like, you know, I remember he made me a copy of Kerplunk and um, a couple of songs from uh, the 39 Smooth album. And then the, the cassette ran out of space. Um, but I was absolutely obsessed. Like I could not get enough Green Day and there were only three albums to listen to at the time. But uh this was the one that propelled them to uh, uh, the the heights and but made them, you know, a, a household name. So I just 
just rambled on for a while there. So now you talk. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's funny. Pre-internet where if it's basically not on the radio or MTV, you don't know about it unless you're reading magazines or stuff like that, which quite frankly, I wasn't enough of a music fan at you know, 11, 12, 13 years old to really be doing that. We were reading Nintendo Power and WWF Magazine at the time. That's that's exactly <laughs> right. And some of us might still be reading those magazines, Chris, but that's not that, that's neither here nor hey, there. Nintendo the, Power went out of circulation several years ago. But if, they, if it was still in circulation, you would still have a subscription. It would be on the floor of your bathroom right now. Well, yeah, I have... I have other gaming magazines on the floor of my bathroom right now. So. There you go. I, I, I speak the truth. <laughs> but the reason the reason I say this is because if it wasn't for those outlets, there was really no way to discover a lot of stuff. So it wasn't – you know, I, I talked about like Tool being a gateway drug when we talked about our Anima episode back in 96. And I actually happened to hear a lot of this stuff on the radio. And that's what was like kind of the gateway before Stradivarius blew my doors off and, and – basically created this podcast 25 years ago without knowing it. <laughs> but the reason I bring this up is without without access to mainstream rock radio in the 90s, I don't think we ever get to where we are today in terms of music fans, right? Because if you think about it, if for some reason all we had been exposed to was like pop and R&B and rap, right? If, that, if that's all you knew in 1994 – I'm not sure you ever get to this point. So in a sense, you can thank Green Day and Pearl Jam for get for bridging the gap between say Guns N' Roses and like that radio rock of the time and like the rabbit hole we went down with the mixtape in 97 and 98. I mean, I really think that there's something to be said for that. I, I remember that you made a mixtape um, and I, it was like it was just called Justin's Best of Alt, and I still have the liner notes from it. And I thought it was interesting because it had Guns N' Roses and Aerosmith on it, and it was kind of like yep. just because that was that those bands were they kind of were meshed into the MTV of the time. I mean, same with like Tom Petty. Like, yeah, if, if somebody was good and was making a music video in 1994, that was on MTV. So, like, I remember, you know, the videos for, like, Mary Jane's Last Dance by Tom Petty being played right after Crazy by Aerosmith and then, like, Plush by Stone Temple Pilots. And then, uh, say, you know, uh, What's My Name by Snoop Dogg, you know? So, like, these yep. were all, um, this is just what was being shown and like you said like that was our gateway to what was new at the time like you said this is before the internet or at least you know the internet existed but none of us had it unless we were bill gates or uh not bill gates um al gore, <laughs> al gore. Uh, <laughs> well when you um, when you invent it typically yeah. you do have it first but yeah so um it was just a totally different world like it, it became so much easier to get I think the timing was right for us to get into metal in 97, 98, because we had access to a way of, of discovering more of it. Whereas at this point, we're pretty much at the whim of, of the radio and, and TV to tell us what's out there. And uh, this, um, this, this was just wild. Like, uh, and the band just blew up after this. Like they, this is their first album on a major label. Um, it was on Reprise Records, and 
the next thing you know, like a few months later, they're playing at Woodstock 94. It's one of the most iconic performances of the entire festival where it rained and everyone in the crowd just started throwing mud at the band and the band was throwing mud back. They actually had to cut the show short because everybody, there was just, everyone was just covered in mud. Um, It's, I remember recording, I think my friend Dan, who I mentioned before, he recorded the VHS on VHS, the Woodstock performance because he had ordered it on pay-per-view and I borrowed the VHS tape and recorded it to an audio cassette so that I would have the audio version of it. Now, it, it's, it, it, I don't know if there's an official release for it, but it's its probably been bootlegged a million times. Um, I've had it for years. Um, it's just such a classic, classic um, just performance. Just um, I thought it was just a star-making situation. Um, but this they just absolutely blew up. And I don't know about you, I remember having like Green Day fatigue after I listened to this album so many times, I like actually made myself sick of this band within probably a few months. And then Insomniac came out the next year and I was like right back on the, the bandwagon. Well, it's funny because I only got on the bandwagon in 95 and the, I don't know that I don't, I may not have even told you this story or maybe if I have the reason I got really familiar with this band and this album is because in 1995, March 1st, 1995, the Grammy Awards are on TV. And my dad is watching the Grammy Awards. And I was not watching the Grammy Awards this particular year. And he winds up hearing something. I didn't know this until after the fact, but he winds up hearing something on the Grammy Awards. Goes out the next day and buys the CD for the band that he had heard on the Grammy Awards. Now, Green Day did not perform at the Grammys that year, but they did, I think, win uh, an award for best alternative performance or something like that. The Green Day wins an award. And so you remember how like when they announce a band or like they announce a winner, they'll play like 30 seconds of, of a clip or something like that. Sure, sure. My dad hears 30 seconds of Green Day and he's like, holy shit, this is the second coming of the Ramones. He goes <laughs> out, buys the CD at Tower Records, comes home with it. And starts playing this band over and over again. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? Because it sounded like some of the stuff that I was listening to at the time. And he winds up buying this album. I'll get to his favorite song in a second, because I don't think you would guess in a million years what his favorite song on this album is. But before I go there, not all by myself, I'm guessing. I no 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 no. I, in <laughs> fact, in my mind, he's never even heard that track because he turned the CD off after about three minutes of the last track. But long and the short of it is, I wind up taking the CD. I'm not even sure that he realizes it's gone 30 years later, but I, I still have the CD and I was the one that wound up playing it over and over and over again and got sick of it myself because I, I just played it so much. But it, it, it holds a, fa- a really interesting place in my heart because I just remember it so well. And quite frankly, I would have never had, you know, I had no money. So if I if my dad hadn't purchased the CD, I don't think I would have ever had a copy of it until much later in life. Uh, my aunt bought me the cassette tape. Um, at the, I assume it was the wall at the, in 1994, um, at the Lake Success Shopping Center. Nice. Um, and, and I remember, um, I, she said, I just remember telling her like, I, I, I just need to have this tape. I just have to. And she, and, and she's like, oh, I'll buy it for you. I go, you know that there's like bad words on it or whatever. She goes, don't worry about that. 
<laughs> that's, that's that's what true. your aunt is for is to spoil it. <laughs> so, um, and then I remember, I think either the following Christmas, I think my parents ended up getting it for me on CD because at that point I was pretty much just trying to replace what few cassette tapes I had that weren't mixtapes with the, uh, the, the CD counterpart. Um, so I would get, but I think I actually had Insomniac on CD maybe before I actually had Dookie on CD. Um, so I might not have gotten Dookie on CD until the next year or whatever. I just remember asking for it because I didn't have the CD, which was weird to me. Um, well, I'll say this. Let me just tell you a quick Insomniac story just because I think it, I don't know that I'm ever going to get a chance to tell this story again. So no better time than the present. Obviously, I had played the played this album to no end, right? And and I played it over and over again. And then all of a sudden, Insomniac is due out. And memory serves me correctly. Um, I was walking home from school on a Thursday or a Wednesday. Um, that winds up coming out October 10th of 95. So it must be like, I don't know, a few days prior or something like that. I'm walking home from school. And there's a CD store that I passed on my way home from school. And so my buddy Glenn and I walk into the CD store and we say, hey, do you have the new Green Day album? Not thinking anything of it because the album was not due out for a couple of days. He's like, yeah, we got we have copies in the back. We're not supposed to sell them yet. And so obviously my friend and I look at each other and we're like, oh, well, I, I guess we'll have to come back. He's like, here gives us the CD. We buy that. We, we buy it. Obviously it was like 1699 because at the time that was a lot of money, but I had to have the album. They have a copy of it. I buy this album. So I have insomniac a few days later. And that became my like fascination with getting stuff ahead of time because <laughs> it was like, it started in 1995 and it's going on to this day where I have to hear it the second it's out or, or not out as the case may be. But yeah, it, it's just so funny. So that was like my first time I got a CD before it was actually released. I wonder if like, in retrospect, you look back and, and was like, why didn't I ask if they had the Halloween Master of the Rings with the bonus disc? Yeah, right. Exactly. In <laughs> retrospect, that had at least been out already. I probably would have gotten that and I wouldn't have had to have paid up an arm and a leg for it. But yeah, so that, that's my Insomniac story. But yeah, the Green Day, you know, very formative band. And, and I don't care what anybody says. I know some people are like, oh, um, the vocals, not good. Or, oh, the songs are too short. I, I respectfully disagree. I think that anybody who enjoys rock music can appreciate this for what it is. I don't think anyone's going to say that the second coming of dream theater. Okay. But at the same time, they write catchy freaking songs. And I'm not saying that every song is great. And I'm not saying that every album is perfect. And I'm not even saying this is their best album because it's definitely not. I mean, we can debate about that another day, but if you can't recognize the fun and the nostalgia here, on this short 39 minute album, I really, I'm not sure what you're listening to. And if you don't like the band, I'd like to know why, tell me what it is after having given this a listen that you don't like. I think that's all very fair. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it holds up the, the production's phenomenal. Um, I don't know. It's timeless to me. I don't think that it sounds dated. Um, and I think that the Green Day, I mean, I, I have to say, like, their last couple albums have not been my favorite. But, I mean, uh, pretty much through up to through 21st Century Breakdown, like, I've pretty much loved every album Green Day has come, come out with. Um, and this one, I mean, this one's probably, besides American Idiot, is probably their most well-known album. I, I happen to agree with you. I don't, it's not my favorite Green Day album. Um I 
I have a, a trilogy that is my favorite Green Day albums, and it happens to be Kerplunk, Insomniac, and Warning. Um, huh. Which probably are like the three albums that probably get the least amount of attention when the band is putting together a, set, a live set list. But um, I don't know. I always just found those albums to just have such an unbelievable selection of, of songs, and especially Warning having so many different types of songs. Like they, they kind of branched out. Um, so those are like my three personal favorites. Um, but this is not far below. And, and just because of the nostalgia factor of all the crap that we've been yammering on about so far, like the, it, it just will always have a very, very special place in my heart. And it, it's, it's, it's just fast and furious. Like the album's under 40 minutes long. There's uh 12 songs and a, and uh or i'm sorry 14 songs and a um and a hidden song which totally have to mention like this was the first album i ever owned that had a like a hidden track and this used to blow my mind when i was a kid and i remember ralph playing uh stone temple pilots purple album and they had a hidden track on that which incidentally also came out in 1994 um it was just kind of a thing that bands were doing like uh there was one on offspring smash album also came out in 1994 um it was just a thing bands were doing and it was and it made you kind of like oh man let me keep listening there might be more and even on the cassette copy um if you had to like let that cassette roll for an extra uh however long i think um maybe like like a minute and a half or something or maybe even less than that if you just wait all of a sudden you're going to get a, a little bonus song about because uh, there wasn't enough songs about masturbation on this album. Apparently <laughs> they had to sneak one more in. Um, and, and you got to hear, you get to hear Trey cool, album, the drummer do some singing. It's funny because the album is so short. They didn't need to hide it. They could have just made it another track. It wasn't like they were pressed for, for space on the disc or anything like that, but it's what they were doing in 94. I don't think it was so. meant to be a real serious song. No, that's I mean. also true. That's also true. Um, again, I'm not sure that we have, uh, you know, I'm not sure that the Kings of Prague Rock would, would, would say it's their best track, but I digress. You know, the, what's before we get into it, I think you made a good point. The production on this album is great. And mind you, might be a little bit easier because there's really only three instruments. So the it's not like you have to deal with a lot of orchestration or anything like that. But even from the prior two albums, this was a real step up in production in terms of um, just songwriting. I, I think everything is really, really good, although I, I happen to love Kerplunk myself. Uh, and the debut, which is a really raw album, um, 1039 Slappy Hours. But my, my, I guess my question is this. If you had to categorize this album before we start talking about some of the songs, is this an alternative rock album? Is this a punk album? What is this? Because, like, you know, you could kind. It kind of goes into a couple of different buckets. I think it's pop punk. If you if you ask me, um, like, because you know, you had mentioned the Ramones earlier. Like, you know, bands like the Ramones and the Clash, like that was like that original raw kind of punk rock. This definitely has that kind of pop kind of vibe to it. And bands like you know. I think Offspring kind of followed suit um, with, or, or actually they really were kind of right, right, right neck and neck with each other timeline wise. Uh, no doubt would become a force uh, the year after this, I think. And um, they're, they're, they're kind of uh, almost like a ska 
pop punk kind of deal. But um, I mean, it, it, it's punk E. I don't know that I would call it like raw, hard like punk rock the way their first two albums were. This is, definitely has more polish to it. Um, I mean, I've called it alt. I've called it pop punk. Um, I think it falls under both categories. Um, it, yeah, I think I have it. I think I have them in my um, in my library as punk rock. Um, but that's like our like our generation of punk rock is this and uh, rancid and offspring like that. You know, like that's kind of what we got. Um, I know that like probably diehard fans of like the Ramones were probably going to be like, well, these guys are they're so poppy and it's all radio friendly. And it's like, well, you know, it's just, it's just what it was at the time. So, and they're also filthy rich, right? So like they did something right. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's I remember when, um, when Nimrod came out and they, there was a lot of flack for them writing that song time of your life, which was like a real, like, you know, acoustic ballad. And, and, you know, <laughs> Billy Joe just did, I think it was on uh VH ones behind the music just said like, we just wrote a song that we wanted to do. We did whatever we wanted. Like what's more punk than just doing whatever you want, you know? And, you and so like, you know, punk is, isn't just a genre. It's a, it's, it's a mindset. Um, so I and mean, it's a they, genre that I'm like woefully like deficient in. I feel like it's really not that far away from metal, like true hardcore punk, you know, like late seventies, early eighties, mid eighties punk. It's not that different from thrash, right? Like it's fast, it's aggressive. I never understood why there was always like the two different camps, the punk camp and the metal camp, because to me, there's a lot of overlap, at least from yeah, my limit. What, what, like it's they both have really long hair. It's just like you know, one of them's like real tall, and the other one's just real long down to your down to your butt. Um, but they're all wearing leather jackets, yeah. right? Like you it's know, all the same thing. But you know how it is. It's like you join your uh, you join your 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 camp. And you stick with it and it, it becomes like this matter of pride where, you know, friends of mine that obsessed over this album got into metal a couple of years later and then like completely decried like Green Day and Offspring. And that was one thing I never did. Like I always remained loyal to the bands that kind of brought me to the dance if you will and i and i would never like just turn my back on that like to me i never felt like i had to be on one team when it came to music genre like i'm team rock and roll like give me rock and roll give it classic rock i'll listen to the beatles i'll listen to the monkeys i'll listen to guns and roses i'll listen to rod stewart green day whatever like i just like rock music megadeth as we talked about a couple weeks ago um if it if I if it makes me happy and I enjoy listening to it, then you know I'm in. Like and and well, I can still go it, back right? and listen to this album and and just and it brings the same joy that it, br- it brought to me, you know, twenty some odd years ago when it came out. But that's just it. It's about the contrast, right? Like I can't imagine, and I've said this many times on the podcast. I cannot imagine listening to just black metal or just thrash metal or just prog metal or just power metal. I would go nuts. Like I can't, I just can't do it. And maybe I'm just showing my age a little bit, but to me, the contrast or being able to go from, uh, you know, from Isan to green day to dream theater to power quest. I mean, it's, it's the blend, which makes all of these things stand out for the enjoyment that I get out of them. Or like, it just makes each one stand out more 
But I feel like if I just listen to just, I don't know, thrash, after a while, after you listen to Exodus and after you listen to Creator and after you, after you listen to Sodom, after you listen to Destruction, at a certain point, it's like they're very good guitar players and they write very, very tight, fast songs. But like enough, I need I need the contrast. And this, I think, provides a nice contrast, which is why I still listen to the band, not to mention the fact there's clearly a nostalgia factor here as well. Absolutely. I think that All of that was wonderfully put. Well, thank you. Um, let's get into the album. I, you know, it's funny, 14 songs, a bonus track, 39 minutes. I mean, a lot of these songs are coming in at two and three minutes. So I don't know that we're going to have to dissect each song note by note, because we've already talked for about the length of the album, which is kind of interesting. But I'm really curious to hear your songs of the week as like a hardcore fan um, of this band. But without further ado, Burnout is like this really tight, upbeat opening track and i think it's really reminiscent of the times this like song just screams 1994 to me and i think of all the different aspects to this short little two minute song it's the drumming here trey cool's drumming which just i think drives this song and just by way of introduction billy joe armstrong on lead vocals mike dern on bass trey cool on drums i love the drumming on this track and i think that of all the stuff that you hear some tracks it's the bass, some tracks it's the vocals, some tracks it's the drums, and this one it's it's, it's just the drumming, which is a real standout, very very tight. Uh, the person who made me my first metal mixtape, Ralph, at one point, and I promise you he doesn't remember saying this, but at oh one he'll point, deny it, I'm sure. His his I remember him saying that Trey Cool is the best drummer in rock and roll. Um, oh, that's a great right around this time, and, and you know he he was a beast like. He wasn't the original drummer of the band. He, he joined the band um, before Kerplunk was uh, recorded. But, I mean, since then, that it's been this trio. They've actually added, um, I think, one or two, like, permanent band members. But this trio has been the the core of Green Day since 1992. Um, the thing about Burnout that just I, I, I always think about is that, like, when I got this cassette tape and I brought it home. This was the first song that I didn't know by Green Day, right, right. you know, that I was hearing for the first time. Cause I'd heard, um, I'd heard Longview and Basket Case when I come around, hadn't, uh, been a, it wasn't a single yet. So this is like my first, my third new Green Day song. And I was like, Oh man, here we go. And, and going back and re-listening to this, I sang along to every word on this album today when I was listening to it, like just, Oh, I believe it. Just, just, Right in here, just never left my brain. They're like, seeped it, into your consciousness yeah. at this point. And, and and I always remember, like right before they went played this song at, at Woodstock '94, uh, Billy Joe just grabbed the microphone. And he was like, "This one's dedicated to all the people in '69. This one's called Burnout." <laughs> so, um, and I mean, this song is is what exactly what it sounds like. It would be about it's about being a burnout. <laughs> which they do better than anyone. Um, they go into having a blast, which here, you know, where, where the drums are standing out on burnout here, the bass lines on this one are just fantastic. It's a touch slower than burnout, but has a very similar feel to it. I also love the layered vocals, which I never really kind of, I don't, not that I didn't notice, but I never paid attention to because I wasn't dissecting the songs like I was this week. This is the type of song that I would just kill to hear live. Like just all of a sudden, they play a live set and all of a sudden they just break out having a blast. How fun would that be? I feel like they're a little static in their set list, but this is something I'd love to hear. Oh my God. I, I, without a doubt. I remember, um, 
I, I made a, I was trying to make a power hour of just live Green Day songs. And after, you know, after Knops had made a Pearl Jam one, you realize that like Pearl Jam is just one of those bands where they've played every song they've ever recorded live, probably within the last few years. Green Day was like harder. I couldn't find a live version of this song on YouTube anywhere. Um, so yeah, I, I echo your sentiments. This song is awesome. And it, it just, it just gets you so pumped up. And I mean, I could actually understand why, um, maybe you wouldn't want to play it in like a live venue because it's basically a song about like blowing everyone up. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you don't want to, you know, maybe that brings up things that are a little too raw to play, play a song like that. But man, this song has so much energy and, um, uh, and again, like you said, the bass, uh, it opens up with like this, this ass kicking bass line. And the, I think the, the not having that many cooks in the kitchen in this case, there's three guys, you know, worked for Rush. Uh, <laughs> you know, everybody gets to shine. You know, it's the drummer and the bass player and the singer who happens to play guitar. The guitar is almost like the least important, Prime. not important, but the least noticeable like yeah. instrument of those four things, you know, cause the bass and the drums are such a, uh, force. They, they stand out so much. And then, and obviously the vocals, um, this was, uh, this was a, like just a great tune. Like, uh, there, there are no bad songs on this album. As a matter of fact, burnout's probably one of my least favorites. Um, really? Yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And, and um, having a blast, I think is, um, is is in like a nine way tie for, for like second place or whatever, but, but it's not your song of the week. No, it's not. Okay, is it Chump, which is the third track? No, um, but I I love Chump because again, going back to that Woodstock '94 performance, the way that they actually would play this song into Longview, much like it sounds like on the album, it was cool how they did it live because they actually would prolong that. Um, that bass solo that opens up Longview. So this always felt like the the intro to Longview in a lot of ways. Um, I am so happy you said that. I, I, I could not agree more. And I've always thought that. But prior to the end of the song, um, if, if when I think Green Day, and I, when I am not talking about the hits, right? Like we'll get to Basket Case. Everyone knows Basket Case. When I think Green Day, I think Chump. I don't know why, but to me, this is like the quintessential song and really brings me back to like that, you know, feeling being 12 years old again. And this is like the perfect soundtrack of, of like, you know, the preteen youth or like the young teen youth. Um, and then that instrumental section is just a real trip. Yeah. Um, it, it's <laughs> a, as a, as a younger person, like, I don't really think that I was, um, connecting to some of the like burnout like drug use kind of stuff this song just made me think of just like a loser you know just yeah <laughs> just a chump I, you know? it, I mean there's their songs didn't really leave a lot to the imagination like it, it's pretty much the lyrically it is what it is um but uh yeah i mean i know that like a lot of the i love that like there's so much of um a lot, a lot so much of billy joe's real life it goes into the, the song lyrics. I mean, if, if you go back to like the first two albums, like you listen to this and there's like a lot of the, the, the material is like negative shit. Like it's anxiety and it's drug use and it's masturbation, not necessarily negative that part. But, um, 
you go back and you look at the lyrics to some of the songs on those first two albums, they're, they're love songs. They're p- love songs that are like just written as punk rock songs. But th- these are like love letters to his then girlfriend, now wife, Adrian. Like, a- and this is during a time he wrote songs for Dookie during a time where him and his girlfriend were kind of on a hiatus. So you can see that there's some, there's some tension there. Um, and I think that that brought out this really cool, like angsty side of the band after like, even though the, like audibly, maybe the early stuff sounds angsty, you read the lyrics and it's like, it's a lot of kind of lovey dovey kind of stuff. And like, this does not have that. I mean, listen to friggin' pulling teeth, uh, which we'll talk about, of course, but like, <laughs> you know, this is this too. This is like another song. And then he goes into long view, which is pretty much just like, it's a song about just being so bored that all you can do is just sit around and masturbate. Cause what the hell else are you going to do? And, and it's, it's funny to me that this was the first single that came out with the album. It came out the, as a single the day the album came out. And I always said to myself, it's kind of like an oddball on the album. It sounds different than all the other tracks, but you wouldn't say that it's like a radio friendly song on its face. And it turns out it is. And they still play it to this day, albeit with, muted lyrics because of some of the curses but like it's it's just a very very different kind of song and it's almost like a narr- a, a slow narrative of a story albeit the story of a guy that can't get off his own couch i guess um it's not my favorite song i i, I like it a lot i appreciate it but it's and, but it's never even with the iconic chorus and everything else and that unforgettable riff it's never been my favorite song on the album like there there are just other albums or other songs on the album um, that I prefer. I'm, I'm curious to see if it's one of your favorites because it's one of the first that you heard. It, it's it, it's nostalgically yes, but it's not my fa- one of my favorite songs. Um, I do like that it really is different. Um, I think we've talked about like kind of Nirvana being influenced by the Pixies and and the kind of like quiet, 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 loud, 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 quiet, 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 loud, loud, loud. And this song is without a doubt that took a page out of that thing where it's kind of like even from the beginning which by the way mike dirt uh wrote that bass line that iconic bass line high on acid uh <laughs> which is has become like a real iconic story but um you know that 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 i think that bass line is like the most iconic thing on this album i think like in all honesty but um it's no, it's not my favorite song. Ba- I was always more of a basket case guy uh, because, again, if you know anything about my proclivities, I like music that's just balls out, exciting from start to finish, and that that song was that. But I mean, when I first heard this, like I was, I was paying attention, but it was uh, it was basket case that really put me over the edge with this. And band. I think but, that uh, was probably that way for most people. Um, but at the same time. You know, the next track, which is a really interesting story here. I remember hearing Welcome to Paradise on on Dookie and thinking to myself, this song is just absolutely fantastic. In terms of like the best quote unquote song on the album, I think there's a very strong argument for um, for this track. It's also an epic track in the sense that it's, you know, it comes in at three minutes and 44 seconds. And by their, by, by their standards, this is, this well may as well be a change of seasons because this is, <laughs> you know, twice as long as anything else on the album for the most part. But what I never will never forget is that when I quickly went out and got Kerplunk after I stole my dad's copy of Dookie, 
Welcome to Paradise was on Kerplunk. And I said to myself, wow, I didn't realize that this was a second recording of this song. And I always found that fascinating. Um, but there's just something about this version of it where I would just play it on repeat. And I love the lyrics. Um, and I'm curious, which of the two versions is your favorite? Because they're very different. I mean, it's the same song structurally, but it's just very different from from what you'd hear on Kerplunk. Yeah, I actually prefer the Dookie version. I think that, um, first of all, was, I heard it first. Um, but I mean, I think that like Kerplunk is just a more, it's an independently released, much raw, much more raw sounding, uh, almost like, it almost sounds like a, de- like a demo album. Um, so I just prefer the polished version. There was like a single release too, where they re-released uh, 409 in your coffee maker, which is one of my favorite songs from uh, the 39 smooth album. And the, the, just hearing it done in such a like, cla- like this clarity in this like high production way, it sounded so cool. Um, so I love Kerplunk. Welcome to paradise is probably one of my least favorite songs on Kerplunk. And it's one of my favorite songs on Dookie. <laughs> wow. Well, I guess there you have it. I, I just think it's a fantastic, fantastic song, but it's almost, too easy for me to pick as my song of the week, so I'm going to hold off. Um, but I, 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 I love that song. I think it's whenever I hear it, I am immediately brought back, and I'm, I, I, it's, it's probably my top three on the album to be. Honest. And again, like another just bass clinic too, especially like when you have that kind of build back up to the final, yep. uh, the final verse and chorus. I mean, it's like the closest thing to like a like a heavy metal solo on this album where there's actually some sense of uh build up rather than like the song just ending in under two minutes which several of the songs on the second half of the album do like they're under two minutes long but oh, it, um, move, it moves it and it's a great song me... i think to follow up Longview with because Longview is just such a like up and down kind of song and this song is just up pretty much all the way through totally and and you mentioned pulling teeth earlier the next track God, am I happy I didn't piss this chick off. Um, this this track is nuts. And like, again, it's really dark. And even though it doesn't sound dark, it's funny. The earlier stuff sounds darker, but has happier lyrics. This album sounds happier, but this is a dark song, man. Like this is, it's crazy. And I'm just, uh, not my favorite song on the album, but I appreciate it for what it is. Um, it's a touch mundane in my opinion compared to some of the other stuff, but Man, um, ha- happy, happy! I did not piss off his uh, now wife. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is just a song about uh, a dude just getting the shit kicked out of him by his girlfriend or ex girlfriend or whatever you want to call it. I'm sure he deserved it. Uh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> um, it's this one's also kind of with burnout as one of my not favorite songs on the album, and I ne- and I, I never felt strongly about it, even going back. I felt like it had the unenviable position of being crammed in between Welcome to Paradise and Basket Case, which are two of the most memorable Green Day songs ever, never mind on this album. Um, So it kind of feels a little bit like a filler. I think the guitar solo is pretty cool, but um, it's kind of corny just because the, the lyrics are so absurd that it, it's hard to kind of take it seriously um so and we've covered manowar so that yeah. should put things in perspective yeah i mean 
it, it this is you know minus the the loincloth it's just as ridiculous <laughs> um basket case I, I i'm not even going to describe the song because everyone knows it and i'm convinced this is the song that made them superstars i'll just tell you a funny story about it this was about the time in my life where i started going to junior high school dances because i was 13 and I'll just leave it at that. And so what would happen at these dances is that they would play R&B and pop and rap music for basically three hours. But about two-thirds of the way through, inevitably, they would do a 15-minute block of all, of like alt-rock. And they would play Basket Case, When I Come Around, and then they would play Zero by Smashing Pumpkins and then Bullet with Butterfly Wings. And then they go right back to their R&B and the rap and, you know, you you, you name it. Um so I remember like always marking out and waiting for that 15 minutes and then being kind of miserable, even though I was obviously <laughs> there for other reasons for, for the rest of the time. But like you knew you were going to get those four songs and they played it every freaking time all throughout 95 and then even into early 96, which was interesting because by that point, Insomniac had come out, but they didn't play, you know, Geek Stink Breath, right? They were playing Basket Case, which I always thought, thought was humorous, even even at 13 years old. Yeah, Um my humorous story about this song was watching the MTV countdown every Friday night and waiting for this to hit number one. I All I wanted in my small little life was for this song to just be number one on the countdown. And one day it hit it and it stayed in first place for two weeks and then got unseated by All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow. And I hated Ooh. her. I hated her oh. so much for that. But then she <laughs> got unseated by Interstate Love Song by Stone Temple Pilots, which I think only lasted one week and it got unseated by someone else. But um, those two weeks, I literally jumped up and like was jumping up and down on the couch. Like it was that, that's just how excited I was over something that was so trivial and inconsequential to 99.999% of the world. But that was what I was like, that's what I lived or died by at that time. Um, so, uh, it was also, a much simpler time. Yeah. Also to this day, I think one of the best music videos of all time, it was filmed in an abandoned, uh, uh, what's the nice way of calling it? Uh, uh, I was going to say a lunatic asylum, but I don't think we, I don't think that's the, the politically correct way of, uh, of saying it. Um, mental, uh, an abandoned mental institution. Let's go there with that. Go. Um, but a lot of, uh, if you've ever seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest, a lot of nods to that classic film. Um, to this day, I think other than Pearl Jam's Jeremy, it's probably my all time favorite music video just because it, brings me back to a time where like just such a simple time where like all I needed was that music video and it made me the happiest person on earth. Um, (laughs) And it got to number one. Yep. And it's just a song that just, again, like you said before, like uplifting sounding song with like this, this is a song about anxiety and panic attacks, which I wouldn't learn about until much later in life. (laughs) So this song (laughs) This song resonates way more with me as a 40 year old than it ever did as a 13 year old. But, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's a song where like, even though I don't want to hear them play their hits when I see them live, like I want to see a show full of, full of, uh, deep cuts. Like this is one of those songs where I'm like, okay, 
you can play this one because it's just it's just so classic to me. But it's still not my uh, my song of the week. We're, we're I I I I have a feeling we may go with the same song, but we'll see. You talk about songs that they play live, but you don't care even though they're hits. She was never a single, and it shocks me that this song wasn't selected as a single because it's the best song on the album. It was a single, actually. Was it? Yeah, it was a radio-only single. I remember hearing it on the radio. I did not know that. Yeah, it was, I remember it was the first song I heard from this album after um, Longview, Basket Case, and When I Come Around, even before Welcome to Paradise. Um, Interesting. I remember, yeah. Well, with good reason. It's my song of the week, uh, and, and I'll explain why in just a bit. I mean that that's a really fantastic choice. Um, I want to say that's I, I. My sister is also a big Green Day fan. I think that that's one of her all-time favorite songs by the band. This is coming from a diehard Aerosmith fan, by the way. Um, it, it I always felt it as like the natural follow-up to Basket Case. Um, I think that they sometimes would play it live right after Basket Case. Um, for me, it was the first track on side two of the cassette tape. So there you go. The basket case would end, and then you'd have to flip over to the other side. Um, so she was kind of like the this really energetic start to the second side. And and I remember talking to my friend Dan and him. You know, I, he would always say like, "Dude, side B is better than side A." And I'd be like, "Dude, you're crazy. Side A's got like Longview and Chump and Basket Case, and you know now that like." Now that I'm older and have been listening to this album for 28 years, I think Dan's right. So shout out to Dan Jelsic. You were right. Uh, there's a, side, there, B, side B might, might be better. Um, there's a fatigue factor with A from all these years. But like with this song, this song has something that like is a feature of a lot of the songs that I love that come out today. And that's that like slow build to the epic payoff as, as the song goes on. And I just love it. The drumming is so tight and the chorus is just perfect. Um one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, and quite frankly, I think it's probably been my favorite song on Dookie for a while now, just because I, it took a while, but this one, I really, no pun intended. I really came around on. Yeah. And they also didn't like pound it into the ground, like the other three singles from exactly. this album, which I think really got um, overplayed. And again, that's where the green day fatigue factor comes in. But um I'm going to follow up with um, my song of the week is Sassafras Roots. Um, 
it was just another song on Dookie when I was a kid and I rediscovered it as an adult a few years back. I was like going back and re-listening to this album and I was like, this is the this is my favorite song on the album. It's everything that I love about this band. It opens up with just an awesome drum fill. Um, and it's just, um, it's just this like energetic, upbeat sounding song. And it's just about, um, again, it's kind of like Longview without the masturbation. It's just a lot, just about a lot about just sitting around wasting time and being useless, which when you're, in seventh grade. I mean, that's pretty much all you're doing. So, um, I absolutely love this song. Um, uh, we're going to listen to it right now. And being that it's a minute long clip, you're going to hear most of the song. So here it is. That's <laughs> press roots. chose that because I, I don't think you're alone this was the song that my dad heard that literally thought he was this, listening to to joey ramon again and listening to the second coming of the ramones That's um, awesome. and i can see why because this is really i mean you use the word pop punk that's what this song is it's punk but just polished in a way that it's you know more radio friendly not that this song was on the radio but i think you're in very good company could've when been. it comes to choosing this one yeah could have been, been for on sure. the radio i mean um, Arguably anything, I think any song from this album would have done fine on the radio. Yeah, uh, not least of which is When I Come Around, which was another staple to the live set, staple to the radio. Um, In many ways, I think it's probably the best of the radio tunes insofar as made for radio. Like This song is just lends itself to the radio. It's catchy. It's not too heavy, quote unquote. It's not um, that. It's not fast. It's just like, you know kind of akin to the power ballad of, of, of warrant or, or winger or one, you know, one of those bands in the, in the, in the late eighties, this is like their radio friendly song, which was just absolutely perfect. And, and just the, there's just something brilliant in the simplicity of this one. I think the, again, another great music video and the pacing of the music video is just the band walking. And this is like the perfect walking song. It's just that it has that gate where it's just like, I could just picture walking down the street and listening to this song. It's not going to make you want to run. It's not going to want to make you slow down. You're just going to want to walk at a regular pace. And I think I, this Green Day is so good at doing like anything. Like they they can make a mid pace song good. They can make a fast pace song good. They write great ballads. Um, but yeah, this was. Um, I, I always found this song to be really interesting because it was the first single 
that I knew before it became a single. Whereas the first two I'd heard for the first time on TV and radio, whereas, and then it would be like, I wonder what the next single is going to be. And I don't know that I would have guessed that it would have been this one because I just loved all the songs in their own unique way. I was, I was like really, it was really fascinating to me that um, they chose this one and believe it or not, um, MTV before they started airing the music video actually showed the Woodstock 94 performance of this um, first, which uh, would they, they came out Woodstock. They came out with a two disc compilation, which I mentioned in our uh, Metallica ride the lightning episode. Um, and so this was one of the featured songs on that. And so they made a little music video with, um, you know, all the footage from the giant mud fight, at Woodstock, which, by the way, Mike Dirt was um, conf- was confused for uh, the, uh, the one of the security guards thought he was a fan because he was so covered in mud. He thought he was a fan on stage, and he tackled him into a speaker and like injured him and like knocked out two of his teeth. And he's like, "Bro, I'm in the band," but like they were wow. so covered in mud, nobody could even tell who the hell was who. It was like absolute chaos. Um, just a, uh, I think another iconic Green Day song. Um, another one that is in my, in the conversation for one of my favorites is Coming Clean, which I, in recent times, was listening to the lyrics and I'm like, oh my God, this is a song about coming out in 1994. I was, and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And I, I come to, I came to find out that Billy Joel wrote that song because he's bisexual and this was kind of like his way of of writing a song about it he he said that he's never actually been with another man but he is bisexual and this song was about coming clean with his bisexuality at 16 or 17 years old that's some deep stuff for back then and and i just think between the content of the song and just the song itself it's one of my favorite songs on the album it's super super fast it's like a minute and a half long just like quick in and out awesome song and i love that that it had um that was his way of dealing with something that he was struggling with and i think that's really cool i i never knew that that's fascinating to me and it's the first of a string of three really really short songs well under two minutes um coming clean eminent sleepest the one mike dirt track on the album uh if you 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 know give him the credit on that one and then in the end um Eminus Sleepus is kind of I think the most forgotten track on the album and it's another one of those songs that I would just love to hear live just throw it on a random set list it's only going to take two minutes uh, and that includes the guitar change just play it um it's kind of reminds me of a more polished version of something you would have heard on those first two albums part of me thinks it might have been the first song written for this album because it's very much in the style of a kerplunk song or a, a slappy hours song this is one of my another one of my favorites on the album. And again, probably speaking to why my friend Dan thought side B was better than side A. I, there's no I don't think there's any duds on it. There's a couple of like okay songs on side A. I don't feel like there's any just okay songs on side B. Like they're all really good. And like there's just this string of after when I come around of just these fast and furious songs. Um, coming clean, Emony Asleepus, and then in the end, which is another under two minute song, um, 
but oh my god i absolutely love this song again um you know you said mike Dern. it's the one song that he's supposedly uh credited with writing and it, and it shows because the bass guitar is is kind of a featured instrument in this song um in the end is another one i really like just kind of starts out right away um again it's another one of those get in and get out type of tunes um the chorus is just super catchy um the 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 hooks for this band are all in the lyric lines like it's not about it's not about like guitar solos or anything like that like it's mostly drum fills bass bass lines and and vocal lines that are the hooks and there's hooks galore on this album uh how do you feel about this one I, I'll say this about In The End. If you're a metalhead and you've never heard this band, this would be the one song I would recommend the metalhead here because it's just so fast and furious. My one gripe is that it's very cymbal heavy in spots. So I feel like he's just constantly hitting the cymbal, which is a little annoying over and over. Would you say um, it's symbolic? <laughs> yes, you could say that, but I'll, I'll go one better. There's a bass solo here that was obviously Marcus Groskopf inspired. I mean, I think that's obvious, but <laughs> ki- ki- kidding aside, when you have you know, music with bass solos, not many bands do it. So when you hear it, shout out to Marcus and Halloween, because it may as well be Eagle Fly Free Part 2. Um, but no, very, very good song. And then it goes into the final track before the, you know, the bonus track, which we've talked about, and that's FOD, or otherwise known as Fuck Off and Die. Um, this is, I always thought, like kind of a peculiar way to end the album, um, but yet it wouldn't fit anywhere else, right? So like it has to be the last track and it starts off with these vocals and then what sounds like a ukulele and then all of a sudden it like kind of picks up and this is the kind of track you're going to think I'm nuts. It reminds me of something that Devin Townsend would do now <laughs> where it's just like really peculiar and out there and then all of a sudden, bam, it just hits you over the head. So I feel like Green Day was channeling their inner strapping young ladder, Devin Townsend, and that's FOD. The, it's kind never, of like, never thought you never thought I would compare Green Day to Devin Townsend, but there you go. No, that was not on my bingo card. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like the way that Longview is soft, heavy, soft, heavy, soft, heavy. This is just half soft, half heavy over, right. um, and it's it, it lulls you into like this kind of false sense of security. Like it's just oh, it's just a little man with his little guitar, and then and then you just hear that electric guitar kick in, and like. I was going to say if if you wanted to play a song from this album for a metalhead, play in this song. Because that part in the middle where it just starts to... This is the heaviest part of the whole album, I think, is the second half of this song. And then the album ends, or does it? Or does it? And what can you say about the bonus track other than, you know... I mean, what, what can you say other than get past me at uh, whatever I, i'll just say it's it's fitting <laughs> i think it's a nice end for for how this album um kind of goes off and again when you're when you're when you're 12 or 13 i guess it's kind of fitting this this has to go down as the episode where we referenced masturbation the most maybe other than the ingve episode um for different reasons that, yeah that's a different type um <laughs> I, I i always i thought it was interesting um green day did another live show that um, ended up being broadcast on MTV called uh, Jaded in Chicago. Um, I believe it came out before Insomniac. So it was all Dookie. It did. I think it was in 94 or 95. And I was like, couldn't believe that Trey would come out and play this song by himself. And then he would go into 
Dominated Love Slave, which is the other song that he sings on Kerplunk, which is again another absolutely out there, um, probably not too far off from uh, from those uh, was the song we talked about, Pulling Teeth from before, which is just about like um, just physical relationship abuse but like it in that you were asking for it or whereas like pulling teeth is where you're not exactly wanting it and dominated love slave is like yeah bring it on um <laughs> you know uh, there's a lyric put a belt sander against my skin is that's all you need to know um <laughs> but, but um it, it's it's interesting like how um trey was kind of showing off his personality um you know, in the early days of the band and, and all three members of the band have such um, just magnetic personalities. They're such a blast to see live. It's just really a lot of fun, but um, yeah, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm, I don't know, even know how long we've been talking. It's gotta be pretty long at this point, but man, I, I, I could go on and on about this, uh, this album. Um, the album was originally supposed to be called Liquid Dookie, um, which was uh, <laughs> like, which was literally named after the band getting diarrhea from eating bad food while touring. Um, and the, I guess um, <laughs> in in so many words, this was deemed too gross, so they settled on the name Dookie. And I, I do want to mention the uh, the album art is one of the most iconic album arts. I've ever seen, um, I don't know how I never bought one of those full size posters because there's so much going on in this just animated, like wacky world with like a monkey throwing poop and dogs and stuff. It's just such a cool (laughs) album cover. And I think that probably was another part of the band's appeal at that time. Um, super cool. It was, uh, Richie Boucher, I believe, um, was the uh he was the one who did the artwork so um just super cool like everything about this album is just so um it's just so nostalgically pleasing to me like i just looking at the cover art just makes me happy um so (laughs) yeah knowing that this was a blast no, I'm having a blast knowing that it's not your favorite green day album i'm curious scale of one to ten what are you giving this this is um this is a nine point five for me, so that just goes to show you that my the albums I like even more are very close, if not a ten. Um, that's just how much I like this band. But this album, I mean, it's it's pretty much as perfect as you're gonna do on an, in this tiny little span of time with a little, with a cute little bow on it. Um, it's just so much. There's so much content in such a short period of time. Um, and it, it doesn't leave you wanting more. It's like just enough 14 songs in a short amount of time. It's, it, it's just really, um, I think it's just perfect for, you know, not maybe not perfect. Cause if it was perfect, I would have given it a 10, but, um, it's pretty cl- pretty as pretty close to perfect as it gets, at least for me. And I think that one of the nice things is because it's, it's an easy listen. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're, you're, you know, waiting for the next track to end. It's just an easy listen. You're in, you're out and you're on to the next thing. Uh, it's a 9.0 for me. It's, there's obviously a nostalgia factor here. There's no question about it, but, um, you know, 
I, I, I will not be checking my metal card at the door. I will be carrying it as I listen to Dookie proudly because the album kicks ass. So I'll leave it at that. Um, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we got to talk about this. Uh, we are not going to do news today. We were recording this a little bit in advance, so we want to make things timely. Um, and and it won't be timely if we uh, if we <laughs> talk about the news. So skipping that, we will go to what we are talking about next week. It's the first uh, Monday of September. It means it's Request Monday, and we're going back to a band um, that we have covered in the past, but we've never done one of their studio albums, and that is Royal Hunt, uh, which means it, which Royal Hunt album. Arguably their best, certainly the first one that I fell in love with, and that is Paradox by Request. I am very eager to do this album because it just is so awesome. I'm not sure how many people would argue against this being recognized as their best album. Um, If you do, I'd love to hear from you because um, they have a lot of great albums, but this is... Yeah, Beyond. and I love and I love Moving Target, the album that came out before this. Those two albums with DC before he was uh, fired and was brought back many years later. But yeah, this is another one of those albums that was so um, so important. And again, Ralph getting another name drop. He uh, he got he bought me the CD. I think it was um, a birthday gift at some point. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I remember listening to it just the very first time and just being like, damn. Um, so it's I believe not, this was... Nothing uh, sounds like it. What, I'm sorry? It, nothing sounds like it. It's oh, I know. one of a kind. Yeah. And, and that's, um, but we'll get into that. Yeah, I believe Knops was the uh, the one who requested this. So this one's uh, going out to to Knops. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to talking about this, but I, I may spend the rest of the week listening to green day at this point like i i got the bug again so i might just i i, I think i'm gonna have to listen to the old stuff the first those first two albums and well the good we'll news is it it'll take you about 30 minutes because i know they're very short and throw yeah. throwing in throwing in insomniac and you're at 37 minutes i might not be able happen. to stop i just might have to just <laughs> go down the going. rabbit hole yeah well so. enjoy uh it's been uh an absolute pleasure i appreciate you taking the journey again with me We'll come back next week with uh, with Royal Hunt and DC Cooper, and uh, we'll catch you. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Enjoy, bud. I'll talk to you soon, dude. Take care. I am so excited to see some of the comments about this one. Um, Bring it on! Yeah, it's just so fun to kind of go outside the box a little bit. But you know what ends up happening is that we get people reaching out and being like, "I can't believe you did an episode on the monkeys," and uh, Pearl Jam being one of our. Uh, most listened to episodes so i mean you know i I think it's good to like you said earlier gotta branch out but um you know i'm just loving all the interaction in the facebook group so i'm really looking forward to hearing some thoughts on uh on this one so uh a lot of opinions i'm sure yeah well thanks for thanks for picking this this has been a real treat um so yeah take care my friend take it easy bud Yeah.